You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. Good morning, ACF. How's everybody doing? Are we surviving the dog days of summer? Because goodness gracious, that rain was welcome, but heavenly days, it has been hot. It has been hot. But you know what? My name is Michelle Briggins, and I am the pastor of missions here at ACF. And I get to serve with incredible people like Russell Thoman that you just heard from. And I get a front row seat to stories like Russell's, where he goes and he gets completely wrecked, whether it's across town or across the world. Missions offers an opportunity for kingdom impact and a front row seat to those stories like no other thing. We have had an incredible summer in missions. It started in, in April. We sent a team to Guatemala. We have been to Nicaragua. We have been to Portugal and Kenya this summer. But we've also just sent our students to our middle schoolers to Mission Waco, and they had a great trip. And we had our high school students in Galveston Urban Ministries. And it has just been such a blessing to get to, to see these teams come and go and to hear stories of what God has done with them and the communities that they've served. And the good news is it's not too late for you. If you would like to go on the mission field, we have trips coming up this November. We have men's trips to Nicaragua, and we have our annual camp fund-led, staff-led trip to go to Nicaragua to spread some Christmas joy that leaves after Thanksgiving. So I want to see some radical sign-ups starting tomorrow. Missions at acfellowship.org. You just reach out and let me know, and I'll tell you exactly what you need to know about these trips, and I'll tell you who you should talk to, who's been there before, and who might be able to encourage you, and I will send you an application. Don't be afraid of me. I offer good things. So come on, let's go. Okay, we are going to be in the book of John. We're in this incredible signs and wonders series. I'm going to go through 11 verses. So I recommend if you did not bring a Bible, raise your hand and get one. It will be very helpful as we walk through these scriptures. And you can go ahead and turn to John 4. We're going to start in verse 43. So I want you to remember, I'm going to bring some things, some memories to the top of your mind as we dig in today. I want you to remember Pastor Lauren Thurston in our very first sermon of this series, she brought to us from John 21, 30 through 31, the concept that signs are for the purpose that you may believe in Jesus and through belief have everlasting life. Today we're going to dig into the story of Jesus healing the official son. We're going to talk about the important thing about our foundation that gives us the authority to stand in expectancy. We've been talking a lot about how we're expectant in this season, right? We've heard that a lot. But what gives us the authority to stand at this level of expectancy? It's faith. It's faith. Saving faith in Jesus Christ is the very foundation where our conviction lies and where our salvation rests. So today we're going to dig into what we can learn about that through the story of the official son, the healing of the official son. Okay, let's set the table. What's been happening? If you remember week two of the series, Pastor Emily Boone talked to us about the wedding at Cana. And the miracle that Jesus did there, the sign of him turning water into wine. 
Well, after they all left this celebration, one thing you need to know is these entire towns would travel in times of festivals and the Passover into Jerusalem, so it was Passover time. So the entire town picks up and travels to Jerusalem. And what we know is that while there, Jesus did many signs and wonders, but we're not really given privileged information. John doesn't go into detail about all the things he did. He just says he did a lot. After this is over, the entire, entire crew from Cana picks up and heads back to Galilee, including Jesus and the disciples. But Jesus and the disciples make a strategic call. The disciples weren't happy about it. But Jesus says, we're going to cut through Samaria. We're not going to go all the way around Samaria, as was the custom, because Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They did not see eye to eye on many things. But Jesus says, we're going straight through. And if you remember that story, he has this incredible encounter with a woman at the well. And do you remember what that was like? He sat with her at that well, and they had this incredible conversation, and she came to a trusting faith in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, as the Messiah, just from what he said. They went back into town with her and stayed for two days where Jesus taught and professed what was happening, who he was, and why he was there. And as he leaves Jerusalem, he hears, we are told that those people said, we believe in him not because of what the woman told us, but because of what he told us. So many came to believe through Jesus' word. Interestingly enough, he heads back to Galilee. And we're going to see a reminder that um, Jesus tells us a prophet is not welcome in his hometown because they didn't welcome him before. But now, when he gets back, when they've seen a lot of things or heard a lot of stories about what he did in Jerusalem, they're super interested in what he has to say. All of a sudden, they're fanning on Jesus. They're, they're following him around. They're happy to see him because of the signs and wonders. So we have the Samaritans, the despised Samaritans who came to faith because of what Jesus said. But the Galileans are wanting to see more signs. So they're following him around. So do y'all remember um, Pastor Lauren and then Pastor Julie last weekend brought this up again. Um, a sign is like a road sign for us. We don't stop at the sign, we keep going, right, to our destination. The sign is just a directive. Well. Uh, theologian N.T. Wright says this about this scene, what's going on here and what Jesus is having to tackle. It's as if these Galileans are hunkered down and celebrating the sign on I-35 to Dallas. There's a traffic jam, they've pulled over, they've gotten out, and they're interested in this sign. And it's causing a ruckus. They're missing the point. They're missing what the destination is. The destination is Jesus, faith in Jesus, so that you may have everlasting life. So today we're going to see how Jesus handles this and how he gets their faith ramped up through the story of the official son and that healing. All we know about the official is that he's a nobleman and he likely served in King Herod's court and it's King Herod that eventually ends up decapitating uh, John the Baptist. So this is not a godly nurturing environment. And, and we know, we, what we see is he doesn't know really much about Jesus. All he knows is that he's got a desperate situation and Jesus could give him a solution. But we're going to see that Jesus loves him so much that he's not going to leave him in that place. He's going to ramp him up and level up his faith to where he comes to a trusting, full faith in Jesus. So... 
Let's go now, I've, I've kept you waiting long enough. Let's go now to John 4, and I'm gonna read through this passage and then we're gonna pray together and then we're gonna dig in. John 4, 43. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with news that the boy was living. He inquired as to the time when his son got better, and they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believe this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. We love your word. We rest in your word. And Father, we're asking that you unpack this word in such a way that we can apply it in our lives as we walk out of this place today. God, um, I ask that you just leave me behind and you take over this empty vessel and that you, your word and only you comes out of my mouth today. You are good. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that came new with the morning sun. Father, we wait. We're expectant. We wait on you to do this work. It's in your son's name that we gather in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, let's review how we have been defining faith through this series. We have leaned into Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, uh, they had broken off from the Catholic Church, and they were really wrestling with this thing of faith. How do we describe faith? How do we make faith something that people understand? How do we show them how to grow into their faith? And so I have three words. They're Latin. Don't be afraid. The first is notitia, and it means to have knowledge of Jesus. Christ. You know who he is. It's, it's an intellectual thing. You know who Jesus is. Next, you have a sentious, where you believe the content of Christianity is true. Yes, there's Jesus Christ. Yes, I believe I'm a Christian. It's still in your head. It's an intellect. These are intellectual stages. Then you have fiducia. And this is where you trust your whole life and salvation to Jesus Christ, your whole life. This is when it moves into your heart when your whole very life is trusting in him. This is the highest level of faith. And at ACF, you hear us talk about the ladder of faith. You will have heard us talk about you, you're on this rung and Jesus will do something and level you up, right? So you can imagine notitia, essentia, fiducia that way if you would like. 
But I have a, a story that might be a little more fun to, to think about, and this is a story that I've heard, and you, I'm, I bet you others in this room have heard this because you hear it a lot. It's a great example, and it's, it's a true story, but we don't know if the content has been sort of changed and twisted, but this is where I'm going with it. Back in the 1850s, there was an acrobat named Charles Blondin, and he was known for stretching tightrope wires across Niagara Falls. And, and it is said in his career, he probably did 300 stunts across Niagara Falls. Well, one time, and kind of, I don't know if it was the culmination, but it was getting, he was ramping people up to get crowds out there still, because he knew that people needed a thrill. And so he had Americans and Canadians around cheering, and he was going to take a wheelbarrow full of sacks of flour, 20 pounds worth of sacks of flour across this tightrope. So he goes across, the crowd goes wild, and he says to the crowd, would a man, would I be able to push a man in this wheelbarrow across this tightrope wire? Yes, Arr. you know, they're going crazy. Of course, yes, you can do it. And then he asked the question, the pivotal question, which one of you will volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? And he got crickets, right? No one wants to trust their life with him. They've seen him. They believe him. But the trusting act of trusting your life and getting in that wheelbarrow is a whole different level. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. This level of faith is getting in the wheelbarrow. So let's look at five things that we learn watching the official um, seek healing for his son. First, Faith begins with reason and rationality. It is not okay to say, to have faith, you can't have reason and rationality, and you can't do it the other way either. You must have reason and rationality to have faith. And we see that in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So he is exhibiting that he's heard about Jesus, he knows about Jesus, he's weighed the reports that he's hearing, he, he weighs the reports and considers what impact that could have on his circumstance, his situation, and he makes the decision to take the risk to go. Next, we see that, so he's on the first rung of the ladder here. Point two. Faith must move beyond reason into trust. We've got to get people from the intellectual knowledge into the heart knowledge of knowing and trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. This story, and we're going to walk through it, and we're going to see how Jesus does this with the official. First, he encounters the official begging, please come. But let's look at Jesus' response in verse 48. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Well, to you and I, that may seem like a harsh response, right? This is a desperate man begging and pleading for the life of his sick child. And Jesus is like, really? That seems harsh. But is it harsh? What we know about Jesus is that he comes always from a place of love. So let's consider how this is loving. He, Jesus knows that the official has no idea who he is. Well, if Jesus is using signs to point to him and everlasting faith and everlasting life, 
then he wants more than to heal this child. He wants to heal the souls of the entire household. He has a much bigger goal and a much bigger view. So he's testing this official's faith. He's, he's pushing him to believe more. He's challenging our official. The man pushes back and he says, sir, come down before my child dies. I mean, imagine, imagine that place. And then Jesus says, go, your son will live. Well, you and I might hear that and go, oh, thank goodness he, he did that thing. But that's not true. This could actually be the hardest part for the official. This is the biggest taste test of his faith. And you ask why? Well, at this point in antiquity, for a miracle to occur, the miracle giver had to be with the miracle receiver for the miracle to happen. There were no cases where it happened from miles away. Even prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, they were all present when they performed their miracle. This was outrageous. You know why? He's claiming an outrageous thing and the official is picking up on this. The only being that speaks and things happen is God. God speaks, let there be light, and there's light. God speaks creation into being. So what Jesus is telling the official is I'm something else. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a magician. I'm not, you remember Miracle Max from The Princess Bride? I'm not Miracle Max. I'm more. And he's drawing him in to more. Well, this is an extreme test. And yet, in verse 50, we see that the man took Jesus at his word. Do you see how far Jesus has already moved him? Do you see he's already moved him from just knowing about Miracle Max to all of a sudden he's taking this outrageous action because Jesus said to? He's already moved, but he's not all the way there, and we're going to see why in a minute. But why is Jesus still interested in moving him closer? He's not satisfied to leave him there at that second place, that essentious faith. He needs to move him beyond that, and why? Well, friends, this speaks directly to our hearts because it's one thing if you think, yeah, I know Jesus, I know that story. Yeah, I believe in Christianity. I've, I've grown up in it my whole life. Yeah, I believe. But do you have life trusting, life banking on it and life level of faith? Are you going to get in that wheelbarrow with Jesus? So if you come to church, if we, we're nominal Christians, we come to church once or twice a month maybe right? We're here. We've done our thing. And then we go home. And then Monday through Saturday, no one around us would be able to identify that we put our very trust for our life in Jesus Christ. They might say, oh, she really trusts money. Or, oh, she really trusts her children and their accomplishments. Oh, she's really great at her job. But can you tell by the way that you walk out your life that your whole life is put in Jesus' wheelbarrow? Do people around you know that? And also, do you know that? Are you counting on other things to do the job that we should be relying on Jesus to do? Jesus can't leave us at that rung. That is not where he wants us. He wants us up here. He wants our whole lives and our whole selves. In John 2, 19, we see, you believe there's one God good. Even the demons believe that. 
He wants us above. He wants more for us. We know that the official isn't there because notice when that servant meets him on that path, what's the first thing he does? Does he break out into dance and praise? Does he thank God? Yay. Does he do the David thing where he's running and praising like an idiot? Like you'd think that, oh my gosh, I'm all, God has just done this thing for me. No, he asks one question. When was he healed? He's testing Jesus. He's testing Jesus at his word. When was my son healed? And when the servant says, he was healed yesterday afternoon at around one o'clock, that's when it happens. That's when he moves to a trusting level of faith in Jesus. He's moved from basically knowing a magic man all the way up to my whole life belongs to Jesus Christ. So he has moved him from intellectual knowledge into trust. I have, we were challenged when Will, Pastor Will told us to do this sermon series, we were challenged to come up with a, a, a modern day example of the sign and wonder that we're talking about. And one incredibly just landed in my lap this week. And I'd love to share it with you because it was astounding that Jesus was so kind to bring this story to my lap. I, my brother, my younger brother has had a series of strokes over the last year. He has um, struggled greatly. The last stroke left him with a little bit of a communications issue where he, he thinks all the thoughts he's always thought, but he can't get them all out in a clear manner. He can't write. He's just in that kind of world. Well, what's happening is the, the doctors want him to have a procedure. The insurance company has, has said, no, it's too risky and it's too expensive. We're not doing it. And so they're at loggerheads. So for months, it's been this tension of, of trying to get this procedure approved. Well, because my brother can't articulate the way that he would need to to advocate on behalf of himself, my mom, my mom has stepped in. They all live in Houston. My brothers and my mom all live in Houston. And so she is in. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Nita Whitfield. My mama is not a typical mama. My mom grew up at the knee of her dad, who was a farmer. And she wanted to be inside her father's skin. She loved him and followed him around and chased him with all that she was worth. So what that means, being raised like that as a little girl by a farmer, is that if she fell down and skinned her knee, rub some dirt in it. If she was sad one day, chin up, buttercup, off you go. We got work to do. So that created in my mom, she's developed into this woman who has a very high level of intelligence. She has an incredible ability to solve some problems, and she's got tenacity. If you look up the word grit in the dictionary, you're going to see this really sweet picture of this little lady named Nita. She's amazing. She's incredible. And so her being an advocate in this deal is awesome, right? My brother couldn't ask for a better advocate. But what has happened over the months of frustration, the months and months of, we're gonna have the procedure canceled at the last minute, it's happened several times, is that over the phone from Austin, talking to my mom in Houston, I can hear the white knuckles. I can hear her tension and her frustration building and her desperation up here, friends. And all I can do is love her, all I can do is offer support, but really what we've been doing, and many of you have joined in and thank you, have been praying for not just my brother to get healing, 
but for her heart and soul and patience as she deals with this thing. So this week she calls and we're having a conversation. I noticed something different about her. She's lighter, airier, joyful, hilarious. And, and I was like, what is happening? So I asked her, mom, something going on? Did some breakthrough happen with Lane and the, the medical thing? And she says, yeah, a breakthrough happened, but not what you're talking about. She said, I came to the end of my rope. I've been fighting this thing and holding on to this thing so long, and a thunderbolt hit me that my, my eyes are on the wrong thing. God loves my son more than I even understand love, more than I can even imagine love. He wants better than I can imagine for my son. What if he doesn't want this thing? What if he wants more in this situation and I am twisted around the wrong axle? She said, so I haven't given up, but I've let go. I've released it to God. He's got more for it, Lane, than I could ever accomplish through my advocacy. So don't you see my mom has journeyed right alongside the official. She has surrendered to her trusting faith that God is gonna solve this problem. She has surrendered that deal. She has hopped in that wheelbarrow and she says, she proclaims, it's so much better here. He's given me so much peace. So that is what trusting Jesus and trusting your life to him looks like. She hasn't given up, she's still battling it, but now she has peace for the journey. Okay, let's recap where we are. So the first thing about faith we learn is that it starts with reason. The second thing we learn is that it must move beyond reason to trust. The third thing that we learn is faith often deepens in a fiery furnace. Why? Why does it have to be hard? Jesus is making it so hard on the official, isn't he? He could have just said, your, your son's been healed and had some magical messenger show up and say, yes, it's done. But no, he lets him walk home. And we know that he has to spend the night somewhere along the way because it gets pitch black, there's no cell phone, there's no flashlight, so he has to hunker down for safety reasons. Why does he have to go through that torment of that long time before he has his answer? I've been asked this question a lot. Y'all know that I've been in the middle of this um, asking for healing for my hearing for eight years. So people ask me a long time, how do you keep your faith during it? And I don't mean to be silly, but what I, I hang on to is something that I read a long time ago in my very favorite children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it, it's C.S. Lewis's book, part of the Chronicle of Nar Narnia series. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it is an allegory about Christianity. And these four children step into this wardrobe and come out on the other side, and they're in this fairy tale land called Narnia. And Narnia has an evil witch, and it also has a very good king who happens to be a lion. And his name is Aslan. And when the children learn about this, this good king, they said, but is he safe? And the answer is, is he safe? No, he's not safe, he's a lion. But he's good, but he's good. In the Old Testament, Isaiah calls Jesus the wonderful counselor. When he's pointing to the Messiah, he calls him a wonderful counselor. When you think of counseling, do you think that's safe? I don't think that's safe. 
they're going to dig up some stuff and deal with your stuff, right? You're going to be doing some hard work in that place. Jesus, if he's our wonderful counselor, he knows when we need a kick in the pants, and he knows when we need gentle kindness. And his correction isn't always going to be the tenderness that we seek. It's going to be exactly, exactly what we need. What you can think of is this. Jesus knows the perfect pressure to apply in our lives and the perfect rate of speed in which to move us. He knows the perfect pressure and the perfect speed to move us along, to get us where he needs us to go. Jesus had bigger plans for the official, and he needed to give him time to get there. Number four, faith saves by full belief. It does not save by a perfected belief. What do I mean by that? That official had just enough faith to turn and walk home, right? But don't you know that during that walk, he's going back and forth, did I make the right decision? I mean, he's in his head still, right? Is this guy for real? Can you imagine the torment? He doesn't show, I'm, I'm guessing he's not walking that road going, woohoo, I've had victory over sickness. My son is healed. No, he's, I imagine he's walking away with some angst. And it reminds me of this scene in Mark 9 when the man comes to Jesus and his son has been possessed by demons and he's asking to, for Jesus to cast him out and to heal the effects of, of that possession. And Jesus says, all those believe have all the power. And what does the man say? The man says, I believe, heal my unbelief. I believe, heal my unbelief. He does not require us to get there in one perfect fail swoop. The next thing I want to say is real faith comes when we love Jesus for who he is and not the things we get. We say this often here, don't chase the miracle, chase the Savior. Chase the Savior. We see the official arriving home, and what does he do? He's asked his question. He's gotten his answer, and then we hear So he and his whole household believe. A whole household in this time is not a nuclear family. It's not an extended family. Think of it as almost like a tribe. It's a big group of people, and they all believe. So he went home professing his trusting, everlasting faith in Jesus Christ and brought them in to that journey. Why? Because he knew. He knew Jesus loved him. He loved that family more, that household more, than to just stopping with one healing. He loved them more than that and needed to get that work through, woven through that entire household. And also, we need to note, this is a centurion, I mean, this is a Roman official. His world is plopped in the middle of this very secular place, right? So think of the power of having him and his whole household have a trusting belief with Jesus. I think it's interesting that we see the miracle of Cana where Jesus approaches and and does this sign and a glorious celebration, a wedding feast, the start of a new family. And the next time John talks about the signs and wonders, it's a family who couldn't be in more agony. They're losing a child. And Jesus meets us in both places. Like Julie said last week, He doesn't just show up at the end. He's there for us 
in all the things. He is the lover of our soul. His heart for us is intimacy. He wants us to take our mustard seed of faith and all of our doubts and all of our concerns and lay it at his feet and let him minister to all of that so that he can level up our faith and he can get us where he needs us to be. We're so fortunate. We're post-resurrection people. We know the ultimate sign, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that God didn't save his own son. He loved because he loved us so much. For God so loved the world, he gave his son that so whoever believes in him may have everlasting life. We have the ultimate sign, friends. We see the end of that part of the story. That's powerful. Let's not forget it. And let's live according to that glory. I have three things that I want you to take away from the official. I want you to pack them in your pockets and leave here and remember these three things. I'd like you to remember the whole thing, but I'm not greedy. Three things. Number one, when you have suffering, go to Jesus. Number two, and this could be the hardest one, let Jesus answer you on his own terms and as his own timing. And number three, when he comes through, tell everyone. I'd like to invite our prayer partners up to the stage today. And how we're gonna wrap this up, how we're gonna close this out is I'm gonna ask you to do some work. I'm gonna ask you to do the examination in your own hearts and souls to ask, are you all the way in the wheelbarrow or do you have something dangling out? Because it can be a blind spot, right, that can creep in. And, and when we do that work, we might realize, oh, I might be counting on money as my security. Or I may be counting on that glass of wine to wind me down at night. Let's do the work. Be brave. Be courageous. Take it to Jesus and lay it at his feet today. Online, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us this morning. And, and you don't have a prayer partner. If you don't have a prayer partner with you right now, I ask you to go get one and have a blessed week.